Uh, This morning's scripture reading is Galatians chapter 1. I invite you to read along with me on a device or on a paper copy. You can find Galatians on page 823 on the Red Pew Bibles in front of you. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If, we, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. This is the word of God. Thanks, Laura. Good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And um, we as a church community are working our way or beginning to work our way this morning through this uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in the region uh, called Galatia. It's a great letter. So excited that we're going to be working our way through this in the coming weeks. Such a beautiful letter, so much beautiful truth that uh, has explosive power, that has the opportunity to uh, cause joy, cause peace, to actually explode in our hearts, to to put a new confidence, to put a new peace, to put a new joy um, in our hearts as we relate uh, to Jesus together. Many of us, especially those of us who are married, can maybe recall the experience of where uh, your your potential spouse, you're getting to know them. I remember uh, getting to know Sherry, 
and beginning to enjoy her, beginning to admire her, to begin to see a potential future with her. Um, but there's this lingering question. Um, are my feelings for her reciprocated? How does, how does she feel about me? And there's that awkwardness, right? There's that uh, anxiety. There's that um, barrier even of that question of until you actually make yourself vulnerable, go out there and understand how, what is, what is her, what is the, the, what's the temperature of her heart towards me? Is she, is she cold towards me or is she warm towards me? And so there's this insecurity, there's this lacking of confidence until you have, right, the DTR, I think is what the kids are calling it these days. At least that maybe that's so 2014, I don't know. Define the relationship talk. You have to DTR it. <laughs> you have to define the relationship. You have to figure it out. You have to um, you, you expose, you make yourself vulnerable and say, you know, um, I have these feelings towards you. And, and, um, and until you find out, until you step out there and find out, are those feelings reciprocated, there's this insecurity. There's this lack of confidence. And in many ways, we can be, have the same kind of confusion with God. What, how does God feel about me? Is it... Is God someone who is safe to draw near to? Can I, can I come close to him or should I give him some distance? How does, how does God feel about me? Is his heart warm towards me or is he cold towards me? What's the temperature of God's heart towards me? How does he feel about me? That's why Paul's writing this letter. That's why, that's the fundamental reason why Paul is writing this letter. Because here's the first truth that, um, that I think really under, underlines almost all of what uh, is in this letter. Is that insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. That if you lack confidence, if you're insecure in your relationship, you'll, you'll not have a close Friendship. You'll not have a close personal relationship with a person. If you're insecure about how they feel about you, if you're wondering, are they warm towards me or are they cold towards me? Are they, um, are they affectionate towards me or are they hostile towards me? What, is, what does this person think of me? If you're insecure about that, if you lack that confidence um, towards that other person, you, you won't be fully able to be vulnerable. You won't be able to be close to them. You'll, you'll always have this lingering question and fear that will actually stand in the way of relationship. When we're insecure in our relationship with God, we'll not thrive in an intimate relationship with him. And we all actually have this insecurity naturally, whether we know it or not, whether we... Uh, whether we recognize that and admit that or not, we all have that fundamental kind of insecurity, this lacking of confidence with God, because God, in, we, we know deep in our spirits, uh, as, a, as an echo of our creation, we know that God is perfect. We know that he's holy. We know that he's, um, he, he's in light of his perfection and in light of our awful record, in light of our rebellion against him, our declaration of war on him, 
or our ignoring of him that that we're at odds with each other. We know that deep down. And we have this accusing conscience that we really don't quite measure up. That, and that accusation of our own conscience against us robs us of our confidence in relationship with God. We're, it robs us of any kind of confidence and security that God would welcome us with a full, unwavering, decisive, and glad welcome. And so in order to shore up this lack of confidence, in order to shore up this insecurity that we have, the default mode of our hearts is religion, is performance. That in some ways we want to alleviate the pain of this insecurity. We want to alleviate and silence this accusing conscience by trying to prove that we're good people who are worthy of love. Maybe we can warm God's heart towards us through our efforts. Now, we, there's two ways in which you can do that. You can do that through religious performance, or you can do it through, like, irreligion. But both are actually self-salvation. That religion and irreligion, both, you know, trying really, really hard to win God's heart through religious performance, or just kind of turning your back and living as if he doesn't exist, are both uh, efforts at trying to prove that I'm actually lovable enough. That I'm someone who's worth loving. To have an intimate relationship with God, to have a close personal relationship with God, we need to know how he feels about us. And Paul writes this letter to clear it up so that we would know how he feels about us. The Galatians were struggling to experience intimacy with God. They weren't sure how he felt about them. And so, can you relate? Can you relate? Here's the historical context of, uh, of this letter. Paul is an apostle. He makes that clear. He's a capital A apostle, actually. Sometimes, even today, we, we might say that someone has the gift of apostleship, or um, what we mean is that they have a, a kind of a groundbreaking leadership kind of a gift, that, um, that they can start new things, that a, kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, maybe, kind of a gifting to start new things. Paul's in a capital, we would say that's a small a apostle. A capital A apostle means, uh, the word apostle means sent. It means someone directly sent by Jesus after his resurrection. There were 12 of them. There were 12 apostles. Paul's one of them. And those apostles have a unique authority in the history of the church. They were taught directly by Jesus after his resurrection. And it's there, they write the New Testament. By and large, They're the apostolic teaching of Paul, and Paul makes it clear that the teaching of his letter isn't uh, derived from human authority, that his authority, the authority of his teaching derives from God, right? He makes that clear. That's why he shares his story. Hey, I was advancing in Judaism. I was, uh, I was like um, among the elite uh, in the Jewish religion, and Jesus met me. Jesus changed my heart. God revealed Christ to me, he revealed his son to me, he changed me and set me apart so that I would proclaim Christ. And, and I didn't go and consult with others, he taught me directly. I met Jesus um, after his resurrection, he taught me, he, um, he, my authority, the authority of this teaching derives, derives directly from God himself. He's, so he's a capital A apostle. So Paul, in, in his ministry, 
um, would travel around. And his, he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. He was known as the messenger of the gospel of Jesus to those who were not Jewish. And so he planted these churches in the region of Galatia. And these churches thrived. They flourished because of the gospel. He, they, this message of the grace of Christ, as, uh, as, as verse 6 tells us, it calls it, the, this message of the grace of Christ led these new churches to a place of flourishing. These, these churches exploded with joy. They exploded in numbers as they, as they, as they grew. And so the grace of Christ, the message of grace, is what grew these churches. The gospel is the only security that can foster intimacy with God. The good news, of the, it's the good news. That's what gospel means. It's good news that tells us of God's heart towards us. It tells us of the temperature of his heart. He tells, it tells us of his disposition towards us. We don't have to wonder how God feels about us. We don't have to wonder what he thinks of us. We don't have to wonder whether we're welcome or not. He, he tells us in the gospel that, that, that we are welcomed in. So what is the gospel? Paul wants to make the gospel crystal clear in this letter. We'll see that throughout as we go. But the, Paul wants to make the gospel super clear in this letter. Because it was the gospel that, uh, it, that planted these churches. It was this message, this announcement of this news of what God has done in Jesus for us to welcome us in. That's what, that's what birthed these, these churches. So what is the gospel? Paul wants to make the gospel clear. If I could summarize the gospel according to Galatians, in Galatians, there's three words. Three words we need to understand uh, to understand the gospel as Paul lays it out in the book of Galatians in this letter. The first word is substitution. First word is substitution. Verse 4 or verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the pre- present evil age. He gave himself for our sins, which means in place of, instead of, as our substitute. That, that our sin, that our rebellion against God, or our ignoring of God, our declaration of war on him, or our um, living as though he doesn't exist, deserves judgment. And so Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me instead of me. What we celebrated last Friday, Good Friday, is, is that Jesus gave himself for us, instead of us, in our place. Chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us, from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us, which means he bought us back to himself. He bought us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. He became a curse. He became forsaken of God. He became um, thrown out so that we would be blessed, so that we would be welcomed in. He became a curse for us in our place. The curse that our sin deserved, 
he, t- he took. So we could say it this way, that God treated Jesus at the cross like Jesus had lived my life. That God treated Jesus at the cross as if Jesus had sinned my sins. That, that what God was doing there on Good Friday is that he was taking an eternity of, of what I deserve because of my rebellion against God, against my ignoring of my maker, living like he doesn't exist, that God took an eternity of what I deserve, bound it up in a moment, and put it on Jesus. And so he was cursed so that I could be blessed. He was forsaken so that I could be welcomed in. And he did it all for you and me. Substitution. Tim Keller says, substitution is why the gospel is so revolutionary. The gospel is not a second chance. It's not that God comes and says, I know you blew it the first time, let me give you another chance, and maybe you can get it right this time. It's not a gospel of second chances. It's that he did it for us in our place. He stood where we deserved to stand. Second word, justification. Big words again. Justification. You see that chapter 2, verse 16. We're going to get into this in detail next week. Chapter 216. We know that a man or woman is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, but because by observing the law, no one will be justified. What is justification? What does justified mean? It means that God declared us to be in right relationship with himself. To be justified means that God declares us innocent instead of guilty. It's like a legal term. Like you're in the courtroom and God says, not guilty. You're innocent. You're free of the charges. And it's through faith that he credits us with the righteousness of Jesus. Is a biblical term, which means that Jesus is right with God. Jesus is in right relationship with God. So he's righteous. We're not. But God credits us with Jesus' righteousness. And so that we can be declared right with God, in right relationship with God. That Jesus, the one who fulfilled perfectly the Father's vision for his life, the one who is the pure one, the spotless one, the one who lived this beautiful life of obedience to the Father, the one who fulfilled the law's demands, who fulfilled the requirements and the vision that God had for us when he made us. Jesus fulfills that perfectly, and now God treats you like you live Jesus' life. We call this, it's a theological term, but we call this double imputation, which means like So the first imputation is like this crediting of an account. So it's like Jesus got treated like he lived our life, and now we can get treated like we live Jesus' life. It says double crediting back and forth. That God treats you like you live like Jesus, and God because God treated Jesus like he had lived like you. It's this substitution again. That my sin was put on Jesus, and so he is cursed. And his righteousness is put on me, and I am blessed. My sin is put on Jesus, and he is forsaken. His righteousness is put on me, and I'm welcomed in. That's the beauty of the gospel, that I'm declared right with God. Third word, adoption. Substitution, justification, 
adoption. Number one and number two, justification and substitution sound so legal. This is so relational. This is such a relational term. Chapter 4, verse 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, again, buy back those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you an heir. He says, you're, you're no longer a slave to God. You no longer, a slave, right, is always in this position of earning and working. He says, you're no longer in this place of earning. You're in the place of enjoying. You're, you're a son. You're adopted. You have a spirit of adoption. You can cry out, Father. God, you're my father. You're my father. You're for me. You're not against me. You might say, hey, that, does, that sounds kind of sexist, doesn't it? I don't want to be called a son. I'm a woman. Here, here, here's why this is such great news. All right? The context in which Paul's writing this. All of the inheritance goes to the sons. No comment on the rightness, on the, 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 uh, the justice of that. But in this context, in this culture, a person dies. All of their inheritance goes to their sons and the daughters get nothing. And Paul is saying here, is so revolutionary. He's saying, men, women, boys, girls, we're all sons. In Jesus, we're all sons. We become, we're all heirs, equal heirs. That's amazing. It's revolutionary. It's this new idea that as a, as, a, as a woman even, you can be an heir of eternal life. You are not um, forgotten. You're, the, you're an heir of everything that God has. It's all coming to you. And so don't be offended if you're a woman and Paul calls you a son. Guys, we get called the bride of Christ. So it kind of goes both ways, right? We get the inheritance. He's saying we're all sons. We get the full blessing. Nothing is withheld. We get it all. That Jesus, the unique son of God, God the son, the one whom the father loves and honors and cherishes and delights in. Paul's saying you've been given the same status. You're a son of God. You're you get equal love because you get equal love that the Father has for the Son, that the Father has for Jesus. You get that equal love because you are in Christ. You're adopted. He loves you with the same commitment. He loves you with the same intensity. He loves you with the same passion. He loves you with the same depth. He loves you with the same richness as he loves his one and only Son. His heart goes out to all of his children. His heart goes out to you. And you get the fullness of his love. It's like you get the fullness of his love like you are the only one on earth. And friends, this is all by grace. This is apart from earning any merit. This is by faith. By faith. That means that it is not achieved, it's received. This isn't something you achieve. This is something you receive. Which is why, according to verse 5 God, of chapter 1, God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory for rescuing us, for his rescue. He gets all the glory because if we added to it, then we would deserve some of the credit. But we didn't add a bit to it, so he gets all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. 
And it's received by faith. Faith is like an empty hand just holding out to say, I want to receive what you have to give me. And so we wouldn't even say you're saved because of your faith, as if your act of faith makes you worthy of being saved. You're just saved through your faith. That's the, that's the means, that's the channel through which it comes. That as we open up our hands and say, yes, I will receive it. That's faith. It's an empty hand to receive what God has for us, the gift that he has for us. So chapter, chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that the grace of Christ, the gospel of Christ, was pro- preached, proclaimed, received by the Galatian churches. And they reveled in it, and these churches flourished. But now, something has gone wrong. Something's gone terribly wrong. You see, some false teachers have come in who, are, who began to distort, who began to pervert, who began to twist the gospel by adding something to it. Who these false teachers were is they were Jewish people who had come to believe in Jesus. And so what they would say is, yes, you need Jesus to be adopted into God's family, but you also need something else. You need Jesus to enter the family of God, but you need Jesus plus something else. And um, the something else that these teachers were saying is that you need to become functionally Jewish. That you need to become as if you were fully Jewish. So um, the gentlemen among us, you guys need to be circumcised. We all need to submit to the Old Testament laws, including these dietary restrictions and including like what kind of fabric we can wear and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so what these false teachers were saying is you're accepted by God. You can enter into relationship with God through Jesus plus obedience to God's law, to the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. Now, I am pretty sure that nothing will shut down our mission efforts to Gentile men faster than salvation by circumcision. The women are like, what's the big deal? But, but if we were to say, we want to invite you into God's family, so we want you to trust in Jesus, and now we're going to come check, make sure that you're circumcised. If you're not, we'll finish the job for you. Like, all the guys are turning tail and running, right? When you add to the gospel, when you add something to Jesus, you subtract it of its power. That's what Paul's saying. He says, if it's Jesus plus something, you subtract the gospel of all of its power. You twist it. In fact, he says, you've, you've so, they've perverted the gospel, he says. That's verse 7. He says they've perverted the gospel. It means they've reversed it. And so instead of it all being grace from God to us, that God just is freely lavishing his grace apart from our merit, we're actually turning it around and saying, well, no, actually, we need to do some stuff that kind of makes us worthy of it. We reverse the gospel, and when you reverse the gospel, it's no gospel, Paul says. It's no gospel at all because it's not good news. Now it's crushing. Now it's a weight of what you need to measure up to. He says it's a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. It is not good news if it's Jesus plus something else. So the Galatians started to believe it, and Paul tears them into them. He rips into them. Now, most of Paul's letters, when he writes to churches, he'll, he'll begin similarly to Galatians, and then he'll say, oh, I'm so thankful for you guys. You're great. I pray for you all the time, and, and things like that. With this one, he's like, 
I am astonished that you guys are missing the boat. This is crazy, you guys. You're in danger of condemnation even. So Paul tears into them. Now, you're like, okay, Kevin, I'm not believing in Jesus plus circumcision. So how does this relate to me? Here's the, here's the thing. The default mode of our heart is, is towards religion, is to add something. We may not be adding circumcision, but we're adding something. Uh, that our hearts love to add our own performance to the gospel so that God loves me a little bit more when I'm a good boy or a girl. God's, more, God's heart towards me is warmer when I'm obeying him. God's heart towards me. God's more ready to receive me when I'm not ignoring him. We love to add to the gospel message. It's the default mode of our heart. So a preacher from 100 or so years ago, J. Gresham Machen, said this. It's on the screen. The epistle to the Galatians is directed just as much against the modern notion of salvation by character or salvation by making Christ master in the life or salvation of a mere attempt to put into practice the principles of Jesus. So just begin to follow Jesus, put into practice the principles he's teaching. So it's just as much against that as it is directed against the Jewish ceremonial lists of long ago. For what the apostle is concerned to deny is any intrusion of human merit into the work by which salvation is obtained. What he's saying there is, it's not just about the Jewish ceremonial law, it's about anything that we would add to the work of Jesus as the reason that God would receive us, as the reason why God's heart would be warm towards us. That, that this letter is all about saying, it's Jesus plus nothing else is the reason that God receives you. Jesus plus nothing equals anything, everything. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That it is through faith in Jesus alone is the only hope that we have for God's heart being warm towards us. And so Paul says we need to be uncompromising about the gospel. We need to be uncompromising because it is any other gospel is no gospel at all. It is not good news. So if we add anything to Jesus as why God loves and accepts us, it makes the, if we make the gospel primarily about my lifestyle, hey, just begin to follow Jesus. That's legalism. That's, that's a God is going to love you when you obey. We make it about our humanitarian efforts. We make the gospel about my lifestyle. Um, make the gospel about me following Jesus. Instead of believing in the life and death of Jesus in my place as how I'm adopted by God, we have distorted, twisted, reversed the gospel. It's not Jesus plus my effort. It's not Jesus and my obedience. It's not about my generosity. It's not about my church attendance. It's not like God's sitting here saying, I'm taking attendance and, oh, you're here, so I'm, I'm happier with you today. I'm, my heart loves you a little bit more today because you showed up in church today. Uh, wow, and you read your Bible this week. Good for you. 
like that, that's, it's not my humanitarian efforts. It's not my prayer life. It's nothing that I or you and I could do that would make God's heart warm towards us. The consequence, though, of adding to Jesus is this insecurity with God. We lose this intimacy with God. That when we, make the go- when we lose the gospel of Jesus plus nothing equals everything, we make it something about what we add to it, something about our obedience, something about what we do, we lose this intimacy with God because we will be always haunted with the question, have I done enough? Have I done enough good? Have I stayed away from enough bad things? How do I know that I've done enough? I have no rest, no peace. Wondering if we're right with God. Chapter 5, Paul, Paul refers to this, this kind of fruit in, um, in our lives. When we, when we add to Jesus, 5 verse 10, he says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view than the one that he's preaching now. The one who is throwing you into confusion. These false teachers are troubling you. They're throwing you into confusion. We'll pay the penalty. Whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, those ones who are troubling you, those ones who are confusing you, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. There you have it. Children, parents, cover your children's ears. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, By believing in this false gospel, which is no gospel, you have deserted Christ. You've deserted him. You're no longer in this close, intimate relationship, personal relationship with him. Because you're always wondering, have I done enough? Am I good enough? And friends, the answer is that Jesus has done enough. Jesus is good enough for you to be received anytime. Yet you can barge into God's presence if you hold up Jesus. His record, not your own. If we add to grace, if we add to the gospel, we will not love God. We will see God as demanding, always evaluating us. He'll be like a teacher who gives an impossible test and then marks up our paper with red ink all the time. We don't love those kinds of teachers, right? It's not like we, we're not like our hearts aren't drawn in towards them. We don't admire them. Like the ones who give impossible tests and then mark up our best efforts with red ink, we, we kind of despise. But grace says Jesus took the test for you. He aced it. Jesus aced the test for you. Think back to when you were kids and you, do, and you did something wrong. You knew you did something that would make your parents upset. What did you do? What was the default mode of your heart? First of all, you give them some distance, right? You hide. Give, give mom and dad some space to cool off. Give them some distance. Create the distance between you. And then you start, right, trying to even the score. You go clean your room, you go make your bed, you go, you know, clean up the dishes, whatever, right? You try and even the score. Give them the distance, even the score. We do the same thing. We believe, oh, man, I've blown it, God. I didn't think about you at all this week. I knew what you wanted me to do, and I did the opposite thing. I've blown it big time. I better give him my distance. I better not. I can't just pray to you today. I can't pray to God today. I've blown it this week. I better start 
I'll, I'll do some good things and then I'll pray. Then God will think I'm a pretty good person. Then, then, he's, then he'll be more ready to receive me if I do some good things first. It's believing that our performance will warm his heart. You see, the Father can be displeased with us, but he will never despise you. The Father can rebuke you, but he'll never reject you. The Father will sometimes correct you, but he will never condemn you if you're in Christ. So friends, where's your joy? Would you, would you revel in your sonship today? That he's adopted you? Do you know that the heart of God is white hot for you? That he loves you? That he's determined to do good to you forever? I've been through seasons where that joy's been missing in my life. You probably have too. Where the joy of knowing God personally has been just absent. And that's always been attached to my understanding of what it means to be an adopted son of God. One of the, the most transforming thing in my human life here on earth has become the experience of becoming a father. Right? Where you guys, you, you know this, you're like, wow, I have these feelings? I didn't know these feelings existed. That you, feelings that you have for your kids. The tenderness, the love. Like, I, even now, I just, I love going into their rooms when they're sleeping and just stroking their head and giving them kisses or snuggling on the couch. Like, I remember a time where the Father said to me, the God the Father said, do you think you're more tender than me? Do you think you're more compassionate than me? you think you're more loving than me? I'm a good father to you. I'm an even better father than you are to your kids. I love you even more than you love your kids. Would that change your heart? Would that make you more affectionate towards him? The father doesn't hold auditions. He performs adoptions. There's no tryouts in God's family. He just welcomes you in. And so my invitation to you is to have a DTR with God. Define the relationship. Every day, wake up and say, I am your son. Jesus, today I believe that you have adopted me as your son or daughter. Jesus, today I believe that anything that happens to me is, will, will be a result of your love for me. And I'm going to view everything through that lens that you're my father. And Father, I, I'm going to mess up today. I messed up yesterday, but I know that your love for me is unchanging. And I receive the work of Jesus for me. Would you pray with me? Father, convince us of the truth that it's Jesus plus nothing equals all of your love, all of your acceptance. Come and be gracious to us. Convince us of that and cause joy to well up in us. I pray in Jesus' name.